So let's get into it. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The verses have been read to us. So as we, as we open, we find ourselves there with Mary outside the tomb. Now, as we, as we read the different gospel accounts, there's, a, there's a, a tendency for us to try to figure out, there's different details here and there. We want to harmonize, put those together. Now, that's not the point of the individual gospels. Each one is choosing certain episodes and, and describing certain things that come together to the point that they want to emphasize for us. However, just to get the whole flow in mind for you, let me, let me give you a simple chronology. First, the women come, and there are several who come together. And then, seeing that the, the tomb has been opened, they don't yet go inside, they don't even get too close, but some of them at least, including Mary Magdalene, run to the disciples. And they, and they find Peter and John, and Peter and John come running back. And they go inside the tomb and they see that, yes, it's true, the body isn't there. And then after they leave and return to their homes, the ladies then look inside. And that's when they encounter the angels. And the the angels who say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And then, maybe after the others have left, we're not sure, Mary lingers perhaps a little longer and she sees Jesus there. And Jesus reveals himself to her. Later that day, he will show himself to Peter. He'll show himself to the two on the road to Emmaus. And then after those two get back to Jerusalem and join the other disciples, he comes into that room and he appears before all of them. So each of the Gospels includes some of those details. This Gospel focuses, as we begin in John chapter 20, it focuses on Mary. The women... Mary, even the disciples like Peter and John, they expect Jesus to be in the tomb. That's where they expect to find him. That's their default. That's when you, when you lay a, a dead body into a tomb, you come back later and you expect the body to still be there. Their default thinking is not unlike ours. Our default, what we assume is going to be how things are, is often very different. Our default way of thinking is often different. And, and, and even contrary to how God is working, what God, in fact, has promised. He is not there where they expected him to be. That's not unlike maybe the way that we think about Easter this year. It's nothing like we expected it to be. Gathered all together with other folks that we haven't seen in a time, fitting everybody that we can into the church. Those are the memories that we've had of Easter, and this one is different, and perhaps it's, it's, it's disappointing. Maybe there's somebody you know, maybe there are family members that they were looking forward. They were going to come to church on Easter. They don't normally come, but, but Easter is a time when they're thinking, that's when I'm going to go to church. Maybe I'll meet God there this year. Maybe it'll be different. Maybe it'll be special. And that opportunity has been taken away. There's a guard at the door. The church is closed. How will we fill, fulfill that opportunity to go and worship God? Maybe an obligation, a need to do so. And yet, he's not there. He's not there in the normal ways of humanity at all. All the way that we think things work. All the way that we think things ought to be. And what it is that God should do. 
And so often, he's not there. God is working differently. Often we're thinking about how ways, like you see in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, ways that people will fulfill their religious duty, and yet he is not there. In this human life that we expect, or in our experience, merely eventually ends in death. And yet he's not there. That is never his intention in life. That is not his purpose. And so, he is not there. Instead, as Mary finds, as we, as we come through the chapter, we get to verse 11. Mary finds that Jesus is not there in the tomb, but Jesus is near, nearer than she expected him to be. But first, she looks into the tomb. Again, verifying for herself, the body isn't there, but what she sees surprises her. She sees an angel at one side, and she sees the angel at the other side of that slab upon which his body had laid, and perhaps some of the blood is still sprinkled there. And, and there with the blood and the, the angel on either side, it looks like the mercy seat that would be there in the temple, in the most holy place, and that's what this is. Where his body was laid for us, this is a most holy place. And this shows us the mercy seat, where the death of Jesus in our place has been set before God as the satisfaction for our sin, the payment in full for all of our guilt, that which now can bring us back into relationship with God. There is nothing more between us and God. It has all been covered. It has all been put away, just as the mercy seat demonstrated in the temple. While Mary's perhaps thinking about these things, thinking about the the true purpose of his death, that Jesus wasn't a victim. No, this is the very purpose of God. This is how he comes near to us. He can come near to us because our guilt is gone. Our sin has been satisfied. And so Mary hears the word of the messengers. They ask her, Who are you seeking? Why are you weeping? But she doesn't believe it, not yet. And then she's surprised by somebody behind her. She turns around and there's a man and she she misunderstands. She she assumes that he's the caretaker of the garden. You know, sometimes perhaps you don't feel that somebody gives you the respect that you ought to be entitled to. Somebody doesn't recognize you of the right position that they ought to. Doesn't honor you in the way that they should. Jesus has been there too. It's okay. You can take that. Jesus is assumed to be the gardener here. And he asks her the same question. He pursues the same thing which his messengers, the angels, had first posed to her. Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Who really, Mary, were you expecting to find here? Are you expecting to find a dead and buried Jesus merely? What kind of Jesus were you looking for? A kind of Jesus that fits our expectations. A kind of Jesus which would do what the best versions of ourselves would be able to do. A teacher who was was good and faithful to God and to those whom he loved. And yet sooner or later the political powers of the day make him their victim and take him away. And he's gone. And all there is left for us to do now is to simply honor his memory with this last loving act of preparing his body for burial. That's the kind of Jesus she's looking for. 
and is not the kind of Jesus she finds. But she finds one who is not there and in the tomb. She finds one who is near to her. You know, we might, we might in our own minds be looking for the wrong Jesus. We might not be looking for a Jesus who is risen, who is ascended to God's right hand, and there as he sits at God's right hand, he's able to ever live to intercede for us. Think of it. Even right now, Jesus is making intercession for you and for me there at the Father's. Any time an accusation comes against us, he is there and he puts himself in the way between that accusation and God's ears and God's heart. He, he's risen. He's ascended. He intercedes. He rules. He's sovereign. He sends us and he empowers us. That's the Jesus that we know. That's the Jesus that is shown to us in the scripture. That's the Jesus who shows himself to Mary and his, and his disciples that morning. He declares to her who he is. He speaks her name. He shows himself to her. We would not know him if he didn't call to us, if he didn't draw us to himself and he shows himself to Mary and her eyes are open and she sees him and she falls at his feet and he declares to her that he is ascending to his father and to her father, to his God and to her God. You see the new standing, the new position, the new, the new connection, the relationship that we have with God in him. He describes it to Mary. It'll be for the disciples as well. It's for all of us who believe in him that his entrance to the Father, his position before the Father, he shares that with us. He extends that to us. He gives that to us. He is as much our Father as Jesus' Father. He is our God as he is Jesus' God. There is no lower standing. There is no lesser. We are fully received into God's presence in the beloved Son. That's almost enough for me right there. But then he tells her, you go and you tell this to my disciples. He sends her with the good news that now she has seen, now her eyes are open, now she gets it, and she's got to tell somebody. She goes and tells them, even if they're not going to believe her. That's important. Go ahead and tell. Some of the other Gospels describe that when she comes and she tells them, they think that she's just telling an idle tale. They think it's nonsense. They think it's a wishful self-delusion. That she wishes so much that that could be true, that she makes it true in her own thinking, but it really isn't. A lot of times when you share your hope in Christ, others are going to understand it that way. They're going to think it's your own wishful thinking. It's your own wishful delusion. Maybe it sounds for them too good to be true. The gospel ought to sound that way. The gospel of Jesus died for our sin and risen again to give us eternal life with God forever. That ought to sound too good to be true. But people ought to wish if only it could be true. And it is. And it is. It's okay if they think that of your faith, that it's wishful self-delusion. Maybe the Lord himself will follow up, even if he did. Remember a messenger, the angels first told Mary, and then Jesus himself follows up? Maybe some of the folks that you care about pray this way. Lord, would you open their heart? Lord, would you send somebody else to tell them as well? Father, would you help them to believe? Because that's what's going on in this passage. That's what we're going to see with the disciples as well. These are ones who could say, Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Oh, Lord, would you help those that we care about as well, those who we want to know this same wondrous hope that we have in a living Savior. He's not there. 
in the tomb. No, he's near. In fact, he is here. He is with us. He's amongst us. That's what we find as the passage goes forward in verse 19. Let me read verse 19. I'm not sure that we read that part together. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad, when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples are huddled in fear. In social isolation, they're keeping a safe distance from those who had crucified their Lord and they feared would be coming for them next. They don't know from where the danger might come and so they are in hiding, keeping to themselves. And Jesus is here, right in their midst. They don't even know how it could be, but he is, and he he reveals himself to them. He shows himself to them. That's going to be a reoccurring theme in this chapter and the next In chapter 21, in verse 1, again in verse 14, again he reveals himself. And the third time Jesus revealed him, Jesus is coming, showing himself to us. He has done that in this book. That's why I love this book. This book is called Revelation. I'm not talking about just the last book in the Bible. The whole Bible is God revealing himself to us. God intends for us to know it. He has shown us through his truth, through the ages, over the centuries, in in the faithfulness of his dealing with people over time, over lifespans. He shows this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is how I want you to know me. And so Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. And in verse 21, he, he sends them into his mission. What are the four keys to that? Did you catch it? First of, the, first of all, to them, he gives peace. There's, there's peace he gives to them twice. Perhaps it's a peace with God that we're told about in Romans chapter 5. Being justified, made righteous by faith, we have peace with God. A whole new relationship. No more fear. No more No more hesitancy to come into his presence. Nothing separating us any longer. We have peace with God. And being able to trust ourselves into God's hand, we have a peace from God. No matter where he sends us, we go in a confident assurance that gives us peace. Because he does send us. He says, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And where he sends us, he enables us. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the presence of God himself, by his spirit, living right within us. He is here. He says, I'll not leave you alone. And he has not. He is right here. He is with us. He enables us by his spirit, and then he has committed into our hands and from our mouths this word of forgiveness for all through Jesus Christ. That which was his ministry He has, in Paul's words, committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 10. How will they hear 
unless somebody tells them? How will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? And that somebody is you and I. And he sends us like he sent his disciples here. He has made us his ambassadors. He has committed into our hands the word, the message of reconciliation. That it is through us, people around us, are going to receive the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. He sends them. He enables them. He commits this wonderful ministry into their hands. And in the midst of all that, he's patient with us. He's patient in the midst of our doubts. The passage goes on. Thomas, one of the 12, was not there that night. So the other disciples told them, we've seen the Lord, but he says to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples are again gathered together in the room and Thomas is with them and Jesus again appears in their midst. He is here. And he shows himself to Thomas. And he knows what Thomas's doubts were. He knows what yours and mine are as well. And he says, take your fingers, place them in the marks. Take your hand, Thomas, place it into my side. Don't be disbelieving, but believe. And Thomas falls down on his face before him and says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this, blessed are you, Thomas, who believe. You have seen and believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus is thinking of the rest of us. Most of us were not crowded in that room that night. We've come later into the joy of the gospel. And yet Jesus saw us from that far off. And he said, blessed are you who not seen will believe. How is it that not seen we can believe? Well, Jesus comes to Thomas and he brings to him what he needs for him to believe. And he's done the same thing for us. That's John's point here. John's point is that Jesus meets us in our need to believe so that we can believe and then share this hope that he's given us in Jesus with others. Look how chapter 20 closes in verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in those books. Those things were for them. They don't matter so much for us. But these are written so you may believe. Did you get that? How can I believe? How could I have that Thomas moment? It's right here. What he did for Thomas, he's done for you. Jesus says, all that you need to believe is right here. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you believe? Have you, have you seen Jesus in his word? Have you opened the Bible and say, Lord, would you show me Jesus, your Savior here? That's why these things are written, so that you can know him, so you can believe in him, so you can say, in fact, you could say this very morning, or you could say right now while you're watching this video, you could pause right here and you could say, God, I believe you concerning Jesus, your son, who died for me, and rose again to give to me his eternal life with you. Life forever in relationship with you. You could believe this very morning. Even not seeing, you could believe. 
Because he's not there in the empty tomb to go and see any longer. He's not there at the church of Holy Sepulchre in that visible body way that you could go and see and then you might believe. No, he's nearer than that. He's here. He's showing himself to you in his word. And you who believe, you who know him, you who believe in him, God used that day to put everything in perspective. Everything changed for those women and for those disciples on that day. Everything about their perspective of how things were and where things were going, everything changed on that day when they saw that Jesus was written. It put everything in a whole new perspective. What matters and what doesn't. You know, Mary and Peter and John, they were perhaps so focused on the present life and how present life played out that they couldn't see a risen Jesus. And yet there he was. Maybe, maybe it's good for us that things have been disrupted, that so many things have been stripped away, that we're going to have the opportunity in the coming weeks. We're going to have the opportunity as we sort of restart and um, find again a normalcy in life as different phases of this pandemic pass as we bring things back into our lives again, maybe it'll be good for us to consider having, in a sense, been pulled apart or, or, or set apart, maybe is a better way to say that, and having things pulled out of our lives for a time. Maybe it's better now to consider what we will put back in. Certainly, we look forward to the opportunity when we can gather again and worship together, when we can go here and there and more easily serve one another and engage in relationship with people around us whom we care for and whom we've missed. And yet there are other things that perhaps have been distractions, those things that seem pretty important in the normal flow of life, but maybe they're not all that they seem to be. And maybe along the way, they've gotten in the way. And they've kept us from something better. They've kept us on a, a perhaps a new and a fresh focus that I'm sure that Mary and Peter and John and the other disciples and the women that I'm sure that they had now in following this risen Savior. You can't go to the Holy Sepulchre today. Only in our visual tour because, virtual tour because even the Holy Sepulchre Church is closed because of the pandemic. But that's all right. Because he's not there. He's risen. He's here. And he calls you to himself. He invites you to be his own. He invites you into the same standing with him, with the Father forever. And he will send you and enable you to go to those that he set you among. To those that he has put into your life. To those that he will send you to in the coming days and weeks and months as we continue life here in our community. And might you have the joy, even as those disciples did to Thomas, can you imagine, of telling him what they saw. The joy that Mary had, even when they had a hard time believing, or the joy that she had at running and telling them, I've seen the Lord Jesus is risen, he's real. And you have that same opportunity for people around you. He's not there. He's near. He's here. Let's pray. Father, would you give us that privilege? 
Would you give us opportunity in the midst of even this Easter weekend, Father, would you give us the opportunity to tell someone else whom we know and we care about? Maybe it's by phone, maybe it's by email, maybe it's by text, maybe it's by letter or card. Maybe it's across the back fence, a conversation across the street, but Lord, would you give us the chance to share this wonderful news that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed with those around us whom you love and you've set into our lives. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you for knowing him. Thank you for our hope in him. Thank you for those who have seen Jesus in your word, even this morning, and believe you concerning Jesus who died for them and rose again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.